Welcome to the Prison Mindfulness Podcast, presented by the Prison Mindfulness Institute. In this podcast, we'll be talking with experts in the fields of prison mindfulness and prison dharma, discussing their transformative work in prisons and jails. Welcome, everyone. I'm Vita Pirvis. I'm the Executive Director of Prison Mindfulness Institute. I'm very happy to be here today with Sita Loza and Aaron Parrish. Sita Lozoff is the co-founder of the Prison Ashram Project with her late husband, Bo Lozoff, and Ram Das in 1973. She's presently the spiritual director of the project, which is still thriving for close to 50 years. Wow. She taught mindfulness on North Carolina's death row for many years and continues to send out hundreds of free books to people inside. Erin is the executive director of the Human Kindness Foundation, she has 20 years of experience helping individuals and communities build resilience after war and incarceration. Erin has worked with victims and combatants of violence in Columbia and Northern Ireland. In North Carolina, she's designed peer support reentry programs and traditional job programs for people coming out of prison and driver's license restoration programs to help people avoid incarceration. In all of her work, she seeks to create the conditions that allow people to realize their full potential and power. She has a PhD in cultural anthropology and a master's in history from Duke University and an MPhil in conflict resolution and reconciliation studies from Trinity College in Dublin. Welcome. So Sita, let's start with you. So let's talk about, you know, for those, uh, of course, everyone who ever does prison work should always read We Are All During Time. I'm just going to put in the pitch there. <laughs> One of the first books I read like 30 years ago. And so, Sita, would you like to talk about the origins of the project? And since you're kind of like one of the originators of this kind of work in the U.S.? Well, in 1973, uh, Bo's uh, sister's husband got a sentence of 12 to 40 for uh, smuggling a lot of marijuana from uh, Jamaica. And um, Bo and I went and visited him in Terre Haute, Indiana, in the federal prison. That was the first time that we ever stepped inside a prison. And uh, and on the way back, uh, Bo said, I'm not sure what this really means, but I feel some kind of connection to working in prison. There, there's something here for me. I don't quite get it yet. So that same year, we both read Ram Dass's Be Here Now. And uh, we invited Ram Dass to speak at Duke University. And um, when he came down and spent time with us, he said that he was starting to put copies of Be Here Now into prison libraries all over the country. And he was getting responses from people in prison and he was starting to feel a little overwhelmed uh, by them. And um, we said, let's take your letters. And that was actually the birth of the prison ashram uh, project. And as you said, uh, next year uh, will be exactly 50 years that we began uh, this project. Wow. Yeah. And so um, what would you say the majority of your work has been throughout the 50 years? You know, sending books, you correspond with prisoners, inmates or... 
Well, uh, in around the mid 80s uh, is when Bo wrote We're All Doing Time. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've since sent out a half a million copies into um, prisons all over the country and in other countries as well. It's translated into a couple of different languages. And um, so the project has has changed and grown organically. Where I'm at right now, Vita, is that I am basically writing to people in prison who have seen these books. Bo's written a few other books, have seen these books and and want them, you know, and there might be some uh, letters of encouragement. Uh, that I write, but mostly I'm going to the post office. I'm picking up the mail, uh, which is about 150 to 200 letters a week. Yeah. And um, I'm responding to the mail. And uh, fortunately, I have uh, dear Aaron and um, and our operations manager, Kristen, to uh, help with the details of running a project that is this large so I can as spiritual director really spend my time writing to people in prison and uh, and caring about them and loving them which is what I've been doing for uh, most of this time and I think sometimes Sita is a bit too humble of the <laughs> the relation driven process of walking with people for 50 years and being a sustainable presence in people's lives. And I think that's one of the real powers of Human Kindness Foundation is that space of faithful accompaniment that happens with not just sending the books, sending the newsletters by like offering a handwritten response, however small that is, that it really does create a sense of spiritual community and loved community. And so I just want to put a plug in for all okay. the, Thank you. All the work that you do <laughs> to create community, which I think is a really important part of what Human Kindness Foundation does. And what would you say is like the main message of that, of the book or the books that you send that are, that you've generated from your project? What is the main message that prisoners find so transformational? Well, uh, right over the top, it's an interfaith project, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, was actually easy for me to do. I was born Jewish. I do Buddhist meditation. I'm a Hindu guru. Um, it was very simple for me to move into the space of all uh, all religions um, point to that spiritual uh, connection. And I believe that that's what our books do, is that they help people. Uh, see, you know, what we call the three main things uh, that we talk about, which is simple living, dedication uh, to service, and a daily spiritual um, uh, practice. You know, that, that those three things are pretty much what we've got out there and what we've been uh, supporting and putting out there for all these years. And I actually asked someone recently this question of like, what did you, what did you get out of the books? Like, why does it, why does it matter to you? Because he's building a um, reentry house project all based on our books. And he said that reading the books, he felt loved, he felt understood, and that he felt a sense that God was within him and that God was within everything. And that that's, then that that's what he wanted. That's how he prays. That's how he he lives his faith is those those thoughts and those concepts that he got from the books. Beautiful. 
Yeah, well, you know, we've had a book project too ever since Fleet was in prison. People were sending him all those letters and then he got somebody on the outside to answer all the hundreds of letters he got. And since then, like you say, it's a hundred or more letters a week they're receiving. A lot of other places, like they don't know what to do with letters. So then they send them to us. Mm. And we just send the books out because we don't really have a operation to you know we do more of the classes inside we don't have an operation to like respond do you have other people that are helping you correspond because that's that's this is kind of like something people don't even consider doing anymore with the world of email and social media and all you know and we do i mean we have we have volunteers and it's something that we're looking to definitely expand because we're actually trying to work to collaboratively create new content with people who are incarcerated and family members. And so it, it's just, and I mean, this is me, like I'm, I'm expanding the correspondence. So now we get, you know, 50 pages of poetry. Um, and, and so it's definitely, it's a challenge to figure out how to create that infrastructure to respond to people and to respond to people well. And it's something that, you know, we have some of that infrastructure now, but we're working to increase. And I think, in the future, also thinking about how to, we're very place-based, we're very paper-based, um, we're very, very relational. And so trying to think as we look towards the next 50 years, how are we able to incorporate volunteers from across the country? We get people from across the country. We get people from across the world asking to volunteer. And they usually want those letters because they want that you know, personal contact. And so trying to figure out how to make that possible is something that I'm working on in the next couple of years in order to support the new kinds of projects that we're going to be working on. So would you, con are you considering moving to, yeah, I know a lot of inmates or people inside are, have email now. Would you consider doing that? Are you considering that? I mean, that's happening in a, in a small way already. And then I think also with the states that have text behind or have, have some sort of format in which they've got the third party vendor that the letters are already going to. There's the option to respond by email. And so like something essentially like email and that's actually, it's a lot easier in some ways to do. Um, I mean, it's less of that personal handwriting, but it is quicker and it is something that people would be able to do not sitting at this office. So I, I honestly, I think that the space of communicating with people who are incarcerated is going to move more and more digital. And we are a paper-based organization because that was the way to connect with people. And so we're having to figure out how to become both digital and paper, because I think we can't totally lose the paper by moving towards digital. And so we're going to have to do both and. Yeah. Have you that on, yeah, go ahead. Have you taken that on yourself uh, as well at, yeah, well, we have moved some of uh, one of our programs onto tablet, you know, like our Path of Freedom curriculum. We moved it's was put on tablet like seven or eight years ago. We've had about 35,000 people enroll in it on the tablet. Wow. But like you say, it's not the same thing as yeah. people going in, meeting people in person, right. having that human connection to share the material. You know, we do, we're trying to get it in the largest one, you know, that the, we'll put tablets and put this course in millions of people's, but I think it would be good if the book was digital. It, it is now. Okay. Yeah. That it, that the, if you could get on one, of, I, I think I could suggest that to some of the places that we have tablets that they acquire that book to put on, because the, in our, we do the classes now on Zoom because of COVID. 
they quickly shifted to allowing us to do it on Zoom, which is challenging in a different way. (laughs) I mean, in one way, it's great that we can do that. We have programs in different states now than just, you know, locally, but it's, it's, there's a challenge with the technology because all the, all the inmates are are in one little box and then the facilitators are in their big boxes. And so it's kind of this, Mm. they don't seem to be all that affected, but it's kind of, we have to kind of like, yeah, the audio is bad Mm. (laughs) sometimes, you know, and so it's just, there's some technical problems, but I guess that will advance and, you know, we have been able to send microphones to a few facilities so that they can have better hearing, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And if they could combine it with the tablets with the in-person, I think that would be the most helpful because then they'd have the resource material and because they're already on the tablets now. So if there's something that's a little bit more, you know, uh, whatever, you know, transformational based than just watching YouTubes or something, then, then, you know, they want that. So they asked me like, can't you get your book on, you know, on the tablet? And I'm like, yeah, I'm trying. Yeah. We put ours in Adobo. So we put ours on the... Oh, you're the, in Adobo. Okay, great. Because that's where our thing is. So then I can refer people to your book. Great. Yes. Oh, it's super, oh, super. super. So we have, that's great. That's great. great. We, have all all the books that we have all the books that we publish. Okay. And then Prison Contemplative Fellowship has videos as well. And okay. documentaries. So we have that. And uh, we're probably going to put this up. You know, I mean, like videos and podcasts. And, and so we're yeah. working yeah. to build different... Because we're working to build additional content and curate content because I think what we've always done is create and curate high quality content around spirituality, mindfulness, and wellness that is accessible and primarily created for an incarcerated audience. And right. so when we think about what that looks like in a digital world, that's that's one thing that I want us to be able to continue doing and also really expand upon that interfaith, that interfaith space, expand upon how wellness is connected to mindfulness and spirituality and have that connection um, with the audio and the video because we're so paper-based. So many people have a hard time reading books. So I think there's opportunities for new forms of creativity while there's also aspects that are lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what other programs do you envision, Erin? Uh, yeah, so there's a couple new projects that we are working on. One is a new book project called Together Part, which I could see also being um, a multimedia project. And that, do you want to tell the birth of Together Part? And then I will explain what the project's going to be. Sure, I'd be happy to. Thank you. Um, I have a dear friend on North Carolina's death row. Um, she's transgender. Her name is Priscilla James. Uh, she actually gave me this mala that I'm wearing for my 70th birthday. And um, she told me that uh, she was starting to, she's a Buddhist. And she told me she was starting to meet with some of the Muslim brothers uh, on Wednesday evenings to basically just send love and light into this painful world. So they were meeting uh, together to do that. And she said, why don't you join us? And at that time, you know, Wednesday evening, seven to eight, just just join us. um, And with the motivation of sending light and blessings to the world. And um, and I did. And 
a couple of years ago, we started putting it in a newsletter and uh, inviting people inside prisons to join us at that time. We've put it in every newsletter since then. I would say there are hundreds or maybe even thousands of people meeting at Wednesday evening, seven to eight. I've told them any other time on Wednesday because we know the times are different all over the country. We even have, we had somebody in Thailand saying, what time is it in Thailand at that time? It actually was 7 a.m. in the morning. And um, so it's an amazing uh, project and idea for people who are so frustrated about being inside and not being able to help out in the world. Uh, We have found that it has just been uh, just astonishing the amount of response and love and uh, and feelings that people are get by getting by taking part in this project. When I first started this job, I was just blown away by this spiritual practice that was born in death row and was born in death row at the beginning of COVID with the goal of bringing people together. And that space of the spiritual wisdom that is born through incarceration is is so powerful. And it's been part of our work for the past 50 years. And so in this next book project and whatever kind of media project it might be, it's really about elevating the spiritual wisdom, the spiritual practices of people who have experienced incarceration and their loved ones. And so we're looking into our 50 years of archives from the newsletters, from the letters, from, I mean, materials that people have sent us for decades old, that people have art that people have been sending us, people have been sending us their spiritual practices and their spiritual wisdom for decades. And so this project is saying like, how can we marshal that in a form to share, to share with the world and to share with the world, what is, what is the wisdom that is born through these difficult experiences? Um, So that's one project. And then another project, which is kind of a companion project, is working on a human kindness curriculum that would accompany our books and accompany the this new together apart project as well and you know the idea with that we we've been sending out our free books to chaplains and therapists and people who are incarcerated for decades and people have been using these books in class forms in you know informal peer support form that's forms and so you know working with people who've already used the book to understand how they're using that and also to draw upon a lot of different strengths that I think we have organizationally. I think we're a very creative organization. And so I see it as a curriculum that would combine mindfulness, creativity, somatic awareness. I'm a cultural anthropologist, so cultural anthropology um, to create a curriculum that fits with and can sit alongside the work that we do that also can be collaboratively designed with people who are incarcerated. So I'm going to start teaching a mindfulness class in a local prison uh, next Friday. And so that's 
a place like a container that will be able to develop the work in collaboration with people while also working with people who have been using the book and using it as part of a curriculum. So these are like the next couple of years. Um, but I think that space of creativity, curiosity, and collaboration are really at the heart of both of these projects and trying to understand, I believe really strongly in the wisdom of lived experience but experience needs to have a process to get to wisdom. Like experience doesn't just become wisdom. I think it needs space, sense, structure, and story to get there. You need space to be able to distance yourself some from the intensity of an experience. And I think that's something that mindfulness can give us. Um, we need a space to be able to make sense of what this experience means, what happened, to really understand it. Um, we need a structure to be able to put experience into this wider context of these things happen to other people, these things have a historical context. And then we then we can get to the point where we're able to tell a story about our experiences. And that story can be wisdom we keep for ourselves or wisdom that we share for other people. But what I really want us to be able to do as an organization is figure out good, sustainable ways of helping people go from that space of experience to space, sense, structure, and story so that they're able to share their wisdom with others. Mm -hmm. So developing a path quality for them that might be kind of missing in just a bare mindfulness class or something, but having giving them practices as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's absolutely the idea. And I think that... Um, Embody the experience. Yeah, I mean, the artistic space, I think, is really exciting to think about um, of creative writing, of any any kind of artistic expressions that can go along with the mindfulness space. I, I'm really excited about thinking about how to develop that because it's something we, I think it's a real strength of what our organization has been. When I look around, I look around this office and I see beauty. I just see exquisite beauty that I'm looking right now at this saddest Buddha that was sent to us. And it's just, I mean, I want it in my house. I, I want to make posters of it. There's so much creativity that is blocked up and, and how we can create structures and pathways for the world to be gifted with that creativity is something I'm really committed to doing in this work. Great. So have you taught inside prisons before? Was this, I, yeah. yeah, no, I have. I have a um I have a lot of personal and professional experiences with prisons. My sister was incarcerated for 10 years. So I spent a lot of time in and out of southern prisons and jails. Um I've professionally done a lot of work in different prisons and jails. Design. Before I had this job, I worked for the city of Durham and I was the human centered designer for the city. And so we collaboratively designed programs to lessen the impact of incarceration and justice involvement for Durham residents. And so a lot of that involved interviews with people with lived experience of incarceration in order to design those programs. So to design the peer support reentry program and the transitional jobs program and the driver's license restoration program, a lot of that involved going into prisons and jails and talking to people about what they needed most. Right. And, and then I've also taught cultural anthropology in prison, which is so much fun. It's like a book it's like a group discussion on all the things that you really shouldn't talk about. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Well, how does that look? Can you describe that? How you, what the discussion topics are that you might bring up in that? In, in a 
Well, intro to cultural anthropology? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, some of them, and these are things that I would want to incorporate into the curriculum. I mean, when you think about like, what are rituals and what are rites of passage and what are, what are the ways in which we form community? What are the kind of unspoken rules that you see that dictate how the world around you works? Um, that's really interesting. People grab onto that right away. When you start talking about race, gender, um, sexuality, trauma, you know, those are some tender spaces, but I mean, probably the best individual cultural anthropology, like discussion class I ever taught was the gender class at Warren Correctional Institute, because the men were so, they, they were really like, can you talk to me about how to not be sexist? Can you talk to me about how women should be treated? I mean, it was fascinating. So I think because people took to those topics, which are not topics that you would probably be talking about in the yard comfortably. Um, it's something that I think would be interesting to incorporate into a curriculum, particularly the places around rituals and rites of passage and, and those kinds of things. Because that can all be wrapped into gang culture as well. People recognize that right away. Yeah. Right away. I mean, when I taught at Duke, people would recognize that as when you tend to get basketball tickets, right? Or if you're talking about totems to a Duke student, they're going to see blue devils. And if you're talking about that to someone in prison, they might see, you know, gang symbology. So, I mean, that's what we do. It's what we do as human beings. So, yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you, when you've encountered group, when you're teaching groups, you encounter a fairly open groups that of people that are interested in transformational change. And is that true for the people? I mean, because, you know, in our, in my experience where we teach classes, we go into like the life skills department. Uh -huh. A lot of people are signing up for the class, not for whatever the topic of the class is. They're signing up to get good time. They're signing up to get away out of the, wherever they are to do something different for some entertainment. I don't know, for even just to like relax for a minute in a quiet space. Well, I taught um, mindfulness in North Carolina's death row for three years. Yeah. And uh, they are not, it's an optional class. There were about a dozen guys who came regularly for, uh, for three years. And they were specifically, I mean, these are desperate people. We haven't had an execution here since 2006, but they know it could change. They absolutely, it's not like California or wherever. Um, but they're coming, they came into that class specifically for spiritual transformation. There's no question about that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we had the most absolutely amazing, uh, conversations. We'd start out with, uh, with meditation, uh, of course, and then we just opened it up to whatever anybody wanted to talk about. And I specifically remember, uh, one group. Uh, they had just had uh, three executions mm -hmm. in Alabama, uh, one right after the other. And the guys came in just sad and frightened and angry. And we just really uh, slow, you know, all their, uh, you know, feelings and everything came out. 
But however, by the end, we were sending light. We were sending love to the executioners as well as the the people who had uh, died and their families. It was to everybody. And, you know, as the Dalai Lama has said, there's this thing called that he calls wise selfishness, that they end up feeling better if they are in a space where they are sending that that love out, where they where they can uh, transmute those feelings in that kind of way. It was just extraordinary. I will never forget that. That sounds very beautiful. Yeah, inspiring. Yeah, so there's like the, they have the awareness that there could possibly be, you know, I mean, of course, we all could be dying at any moment, but it's kind of like this horrible anxiety probably that's always in the wallpaper. Right. So yeah, having to work with you're kind of up against it in a really intense way, plus that environment. Right. Yeah. Exactly. A warm and cozy way to end your life. So, um, what else? So, what else do you? What are you, What are your hopes, Sita, for the program continuing on for the, another fifty years? My hope is in the body of Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. My, my hope is Aaron. We, we handpicked oh. as a board this beautiful, wonderful uh, person. Uh, it's. I'm just amazed and touched every day. The energy in the offices uh, is alive and and wonderful. And I'm just, you know, I'm I'm giving it to her. I'm I truly am, and trusting uh, that that's uh, that we are all guided, and that we've been guided to have Aaron in our project. Wow. Okay. It, I mean, it's. It's beautiful. It's an honor and it's a privilege. And I know that all of the things that I've done in my life have led me right here to this moment with the three of us together. So I recognize that. And I am grateful for the opportunities that we have to be vessels and want to always hold this space in wisdom and in humility and in love because that's like the basis and the foundation that it was built on and that space of unconditional love that you bring that I am like learning as a method is so powerful to me and it's the work that I'm trying to hope that I can shepherd in my work in my life oh so we're having a moment here beautiful I'm going to go cry for a minute, but I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's very powerful to hear. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess you know who Sita Lozov is. It's like everybody always says Sita and Bo were like the ones that all the rest of us, you know, you laid the ground for all of the rest of us for the past 50 years to follow your example. So it's always been like, I know Bo was a little problematic, but he was always a very inspirational character to me, and so were you. You know, so it's so wonderful to see you passing it on to someone like Aaron, who you see, I see, will continue on with the work. You can trust it to grow and flourish. Thank you so much. There's so much here. There's so much good stuff here, and I feel like 
know, sometimes you really need new eyes to see like yeah. all the treasure, you know, it's like sometimes when you're just sitting in a space, it just feels like, oh, that's my life. But for someone to come in and say, oh my gosh, there's treasure in that cabinet. You know, mm-hmm. there's treasure on that wall. And that's how I feel about people. You know, that's how I feel about all the people that we work with. Mm-hmm. You know, there's treasure everywhere. And sometimes you just need like new, fresh eyes and that that space, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I, I feel like that's part of my role here is to be able to like cherish this archive and find all of the treasures in the archive and let them fly. That's my job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure where we go from here because that was (laughs) really amazing to hear and so inspiring. Well, I mean, I'm thinking about unconditional love a lot. And, you know, I was thinking about what is this connection between failure and unconditional love, which I didn't, you know, I don't fully have that, but. But, you know, failure shouldn't be a privilege. There's such a learning space that can happen in failure. But for so many people, there's no safety net. And so when you make a mistake, when you fail, you're just like kind of kicked off and kicked away. And what I see as this just huge gift of human kindness that is embodied through Sita is that what happens when you look at people through the lens of unconditional love and what is made possible by that. And I fail at that all the time. Like I am nowhere near <laughs> like loving. I can be super judgmental, but when I look at that as like a method of how to live life, it opens up so much like liberatory possibilities for me. And I think it can open up so many liberatory possibilities for other people. You know, like what if we looked at corrections through a lens of unconditional love? What if we looked at justice through a lens of unconditional love, that you were lovable, that you were capable, that you belong, you know, that doesn't have to be an airy fairy dream. It can be a method and a process and a goal. Right. So and that's with, a gift. Like that's a gift of your faith that I learn and I see every day. Mm. Mm. So when you walked away from that prison in Terre Haute, Bo said something like, I'm not sure what this is, but there's something here. It does seem like it's become clear what was there, right? To you, Sita, that yeah, that this whole flourishing of love and kindness throughout this I, system. I, who I, I could never know that it would be my calling. Mm. I could never know that at, at that time. But, you know, as as we know, Vita, one day goes into the next. Yeah. And, uh, and here we are. And, um, you know, I've been practicing mindfulness. I'm a, I'm a practitioner. You know, all these 50 years I've been I've been doing that, you know. Uh, and. Uh, And here we are, you know. uh. Well, I just want to thank you. I mean, for so much, for everything you've done, for all that you've created. It's astounding. How many lives you've touched, you know. I think that book is pivotal, and and all those books were pivotal in helping people understand a really lost place in the world Mm -hmm. that people don't have a lot of awareness of. 
give a window of, of what it is, what the life is there in there. You know, so beautiful. Thank you so much. And so transformative. And I want to say we're like, so the We're All Doing Time is, so Sita has co-authorship of We're All Doing Time, Lineage, and just another spiritual book. And so Lineage, we reprinted. And so it has Bo and Sita Lozoff on the cover. And We're All Doing Time and just another spiritual book on the digital versions have Bo and Sita's name on them. And when we reprint them, they'll have their names. And I think that's, I mean you deserve this. You know, when we think about authorship and the book, so much of the love in that book is you, the art, the editing, the curation, the like bringing in these other voices. That's, that's a partnership. And so I'm really appreciative Vita that you are honoring Sita in this way and that when we think about human kindness and think about the past of human kindness we think about the partnership of Sita and Bo and we think of the partnership of what they produced yeah I really really thank you for in for coming and speaking about this this is just so beautiful and so inspiring thank you for inviting us yeah Thank you for listening. To learn more about PMI and our programs, please visit prisonmindfulness.org. You can also keep up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.